thank you so much, Kenny, for being here on the Wave Capital's guest speaker series on relationship building in a team environment. You're my 27th guest. How are you today, Kenny? Thank you so much for being with me today. Well, Garrett, it's great to be with you. Uh, I know you've had a pretty illustrious list of guests, so it's an honor to join you and uh, doing well. As we speak, I'm in a hotel room in Detroit, getting ready <laughs> to broadcast the Lions and the Commanders tomorrow. That's awesome. That's so, so cool. Well, what does relationship building mean to you, Kenny, in your career and, you know, throughout your life? How would you define relationship building in your own words? Well, so much of what I do, Garrett, is based on teamwork. Uh, whether it's a, a television broadcast, a radio broadcast, you're working with so many other people uh, to try and put together the best uh, broadcast possible for the viewers or the listeners. On a typical football weekend, um, I arrive on Friday morning uh, along with the entire production team, my analyst, sideline reporter, producer, director, associate director, uh, broadcast associate. There are about eight of us that, that uh, travel every week during the NFL season, and we all live in different areas, and we wind up in the same city from Friday to Sunday, and, and they become like your family. During the NFL season, I think I spend more time with my crew than with my actual family. We go to a team practice on Friday morning. Uh, we have lunch, we have dinner Friday night. On Saturday, we'll go visit with the away team when they arrive at their hotel. We have a production meeting, we have dinner, and then Sunday we go and do the game. So um, relationships are very important, both uh, on and off the air. Once the broadcast begins, we're all working together in unison. And it's the same way in other sports as well. Uh, I'm so fortunate to be involved in all four of the major pro sports uh, in the United States. Uh, I've done hockey for 32 years and also worked uh, some basketball and baseball as well. So no matter what the sport is, it's a team. And once the, the red light goes on on Sunday, uh, tomorrow, for example, as we tape this, uh, my partner is Jonathan Vilma up in the booth, the former New Orleans Saint, Super Bowl champion, New York Jet, University of Miami. Shannon Spakes, our sideline reporter, uh, producer Fran Morrison, director Brian Lilly. We're working in unison during the week. It's a lot of texting and emailing and conference calls and Zooms talking about some of the ideas uh, and, and topics and themes uh, that we're looking ahead to for that particular game on Sunday. We're all doing our own research and watching prior games and doing a lot of reading. And then once we come together Friday, Saturday, we go to the practices, we talk to players and coaches, and then uh, we all want to be on the same page come Sunday. Uh, like I said, it's the same way in the other sports, whether I'm working a, a Rangers radio broadcast with Dave Maloney or a Turner NHL national broadcast with Eddie Olchek and Keith Jones and our production crew. Teamwork is such a big part of it. And what would you say is your favorite sport? covering? I know it's probably uh, a difficult question to ask or probably to answer on your part because you love all the sports, but which one really uh, excites you? Oh, they all excite me. Um, I get that question a lot, Garrett, and I'm so fortunate to be involved in all four, and I've also worked some other sports. I've, I've done some boxing and track and field and volleyball and back in the day, some lacrosse and soccer. So uh, the variety is actually what excites me. Um, love switching from sport to sport. There have been some instances in October in past years where I've worked four sports in the span of a week or 10 days uh, during the NFL season, baseball playoffs, 
NBA regular uh, preseason, NHL regular season. Th those are such fun times. Um, growing up, um, hockey was probably probably my favorite, although I, I loved all of them. Played a little hockey in high school and college on club teams. Um, still played as an adult uh, just for fun for, for many, many years. Um, hockey and football are the two that, I, that, I, that I've worked the most games in. Um, through the years, hockey, uh, starting with uh, a, a tremendous opportunity, invaluable experience at the minor league level in Baltimore back in the early 90s. Um, and, and hockey on the radio was my goal. That, that was what I wanted to do in high school, college. Um, I did have another great opportunity in high school. You know, you talk about relationships. Right. I was doing a lot of writing for the school newspaper and broadcasting games into my tape recorder since I was about five or six years old. In 10th grade, back in 1984 in Long Island, a local cable station, Cox Cable of Great Neck, came to my high school, which was in Port Washington, one of the neighboring towns. And I was there to cover the game for the newspaper. And the athletic director, uh, Tom Romeo, introduced me to the producer from Cox Cable, Roy Menton. Um, and it was just uh, being in the right place at the right time. Cox and Roy, for some reason, decided to come to my school and they didn't have any announcers. They, they, were, they had two cameras and they were going to film the game and, and show it on delayed tape with just the natural sound from the gym. So I volunteered to announce the game. They clipped a, they clipped a microphone onto my shirt. I sat in the second row. The people around me probably thought I was crazy talking to myself <laughs> throughout the entire game. Yeah. And I built a relationship with the producer, Roy Menton. I called him on the phone the next day, volunteered my services. And for the next three years, I did uh, basketball, baseball, hockey, football, lacrosse, soccer, uh, whatever sport they were going to put on the air. I raised my hand and I was there. So um, that was such an unbelievable experience, just getting to work various sports. I would bring friends along as, as color analysts. And uh, that was probably a big part of uh, why I've been able to work such a variety of sports uh, professionally dating back to those high school days. Hockey as a kid, that was my goal, hockey on the radio, and I've done it for 32 years. Um, a number of us received a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to broadcast NFL football at a young age when Rupert Murdoch uh, basically stole the NFC package away from CBS with a, a bid that nobody expected back in 1993, late 93 heading into the 94 season and uh, myself, Joe Buck, Kevin Harlan, and Tom Brenneman were all hired as, as really young play-by-play -play announcers at the time. And fast forward 29 years later, I've worked uh, over 450 NFL games. Um, you know, obviously you and your viewers realize how big the NFL is in, in not only the United States, but all around North America and the world. So, um, you know, never thought I'd have that opportunity at such a young age. So, you know, I always say comparing hockey and football broadcasting, it's like apples and oranges. I love them both. Um, there's nothing like a Stanley Cup playoff game. I've worked Stanley Cup finals on TV and radio. There's also nothing like uh, one o'clock on a Sunday afternoon when, when an NFL game kicks off. And I really enjoy basketball and baseball as well. So it's like asking which kid you like best if you have four. Right. That's, my, that's my usual answer. Well, you answered it, you know, very thoroughly and, I uh, loved hearing all about how, even from an early age, how you were inspired to become, you know, a broadcaster. And, you know, you come from a, a, a long line of broadcasters, I mean, if you will. I mean, your, your father, your uncles, like, what was it like growing up 
in the Albert household? And, you know, what are some of the stories that you remember, you know, and, and the influences with your uncles and your, and your father? Well, first of all, I commend you on getting uh, the lineage correct. There are so many people that think I'm one of the brothers. Uh, they think that my father has three sons who were broadcast. <laughs> so uh, you're absolutely right. It's my father and two uncles. Although they don't mind when, when, uh, when people ask them if I'm one of their brothers. It makes them feel a little bit younger. Um, it, it was just so much fun um, growing up uh, around my father and two uncles, um, you know, right from a young age, I got a tape recorder for my birthday when I was five years old and, and started announcing games. And I would always love listening to their stories when my uncles would come over on, on holidays or special occasions. Um, I, it was like, I was listening to the first all sports radio station, uh, all sports radio didn't exist back then until 1987 in New York with WFAN. But I really felt like I was in the middle of it, listening to their, anecdotes, stories about games and travel and partners they worked with. And I just tried to let it all sink in by osmosis. And then I would get to go to games with them, uh, with my father very frequently, whether it was the Knicks, the Rangers, NFL games, boxing. Uh, he also did the local news at WNBC in New York. So I would tag along to the studio. And it was um, such a great learning experience. I felt like I had a head start. Uh, a major head start on any other kids that wanted to get into this that wouldn't have the opportunity until college. So um, it was it was 99.9 percent .9 positive. Uh, can't really think of any negatives to, to growing up around sportscasters who were involved with so many different teams, networks, leagues, channels. And I just tried to learn as much as I could. Um, started handling the stats for my father when I was in high school at hockey and basketball and football games and um, you know, aside from the actual job of, of keeping the statistics, uh, just by sitting either next to him or two seats over um, and listening on the headset to what was going on, the communication between the, the television truck, the producer, the director, and the, the broadcasters, um, it was, you know, not, not to disparage anything I learned in class in high school or college, but it was, it was um, even better than sitting in a classroom, just listening and watching getting all the hands-on experience uh, as often as possible. That's really, that's really cool because, you know, when you think about you growing up and the relationships that you build, even with your family members, your father, your uncles, and, you know, growing up in tight knit communities like Long Island, my wife and I, we have family. We're originally from the New York city area, Long Island, Northern Jersey. So the culture up there and sports is so big and so many great, athletes and, and broadcasters like yourself have come from there and it's a great pedigree if you will of people who just love the sport and in your case you get the opportunity every week you know every sunday saturday night friday night whatever day that you're assigned to be able to call these games and you have the ability to bring the game to the fans, if they're not in the stadium or if they're not in the arena, people at home watching. Do you ever think about what the fans are seeing in a game when you're calling it? Do you ever think about from a fan's perspective, is it similar to yours? I mean, what would you want the fan to know, like from your perspective as a broadcaster? Because when you're calling the game, you might be seeing things or you might be thinking about the game in a different light, so to speak. First of all, mentioned Long Island and Northern Jersey, though the two, those are the two places I've lived the longest. 
Uh, grew up on Long Island, uh, lived there through high school, uh, spent my first five years professionally in the Maryland, D.C. area, which I loved. And now I've been back in, uh, in New York since 1995, New York, New Jersey, lived in Manhattan for four years, but I've been in Northern Jersey since 99. So it's been 23 years there. Um, as far as the question, um, you know, I, I always have a checklist I go through during the week as far as the studying, uh, no matter what the sport is, um, I'm tend to, I tend to over-prepare, which I don't think is a bad thing. Um, I don't want to miss anything. Uh, so I read, you know, for hours and hours and every week and, and watch previous games and, and go to the press conferences and listen to the players and the coaches. So it, it's almost like studying for an open book test all week and you have all this information. And once the game starts, especially in football, we've gathered so much information on on all the over a hundred players and um, with, with the NFL, I'm working national games. So it's a little bit different than when I work Rangers hockey on the radio or, or 15 to 20 mixed basketball games a year, because we could have two teams in week 15 of the NFL season that we haven't seen all year. So you really have to play catch up on their entire season. And despite what some of the fans of, of their teams might think we're calling the game right down the middle, 50, 50. I know some viewers hear it a certain way. Uh, they want you to talk about their team 90% of the time, but on a national broadcast, uh, it, it, that's just not going to happen. It's, it's right down the middle. Um, you know, my philosophy is I'm sort of like the traffic cop and, and football is the most rhythmic sport from a play-by-play -play standpoint. Hockey, it's 60 minutes of action. Uh, you're basically calling the play throughout basketball, similar to hockey, slower, more stoppages, but 48 minutes of, of back and forth. Um, baseball, the ball's only in play for eight to 12 minutes. So you're depending a lot more on your color analyst and other information you've gathered to fill in that, that dead time between pitches. Football's the most rhythmic. It's one play and then it's 20 or 25 seconds. It's one play and then it's another 20 or 25 seconds. So um, you know, my job, I'll set up the play, I'll call the play, I'll do a quick recap, and then I'll either let my color analyst come in or I'll ask uh, the color analyst a question. And, you know, I do a lot of research on my analysts when I work with them for the first time. Uh, Jonathan Vilma, for example, it's our third year together. But in particular, when we would have a New Orleans Saints game, I would try to, you know, I was intrigued about hearing uh, his relationship with Drew Brees and Sean Payton and what it was like in practice going up against those guys. And I think the viewers tend to like hearing that kind of uh, those kind of stories as well. So um, the, the analyst is such a big part of it. They're the expert. Uh, they play, they coached usually play-by-play um, the -the -play announcer usually never played or coached. Uh, there've been a couple of examples. Pat Summerall obviously is the, the biggest one of a player became a play-by-play -play broadcaster and there are some others in 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 each of the sports um and i i might hold the record garrett i i, I have a list and i'm actually writing a, a book i just turned it into the uh publisher about two weeks ago and there's a chapter on on analysts and i've had over 225 throughout my career in the various sports but that's amazing um you know as far as the viewers are concerned um you know you want to you want to pass along pertinent information whether it's about injuries, statistics, um, you weave in those anecdotes and stories that you find out during the week. So uh, there's really a long list of, of what goes into my mind in preparing for a broadcast. And, you know, last week, sometimes if, if it's a blowout late in the game in the fourth quarter in football, 
um, you know, that's when you really have to dig into your bag of tricks and, and keep the viewers interested. But then again, you never know what might happen. And last week we had a game in Atlanta, the Saints and Falcons. Atlanta led by 16 in the fourth quarter. And New Orleans winds up coming back and, and winning the game. It was a great quarter uh, from a Saints standpoint. And that led to, uh, to an exciting and entertaining broadcast. Yeah, that's, that's great. And it's remarkable how, you know, over the course of your career, I mean, so many moments probably stick out more than others. And the fact that, you know, you calling these games and being a part of your team and, you know, working with the production crew and all the directors and all the personnel that makes these broadcasts possible. I mean, some of these games are more, uh, if you will, you know, legendary than than others, or just to be a part of them is are legendary. So, what would you say is some of the biggest games that you've called, or what's maybe one or two games that have stood out to you and said, "Wow, I'm so glad I was able to call this game." Well, well, there are a number of them, and and I'll go sport by sport. Ironically, the game that I'm asked about the most frequently when I run into people. Uh, in an airport, in a stadium, on the street, or when I speak with college and high school broadcasting students uh, frequently throughout every summer, it's the Jose Bautista home run and bat flip back in 2015 in game five between the Blue Jays and Rangers up in Toronto. I was calling the game with uh, Harold Reynolds and Tom Verducci on Fox, and it was a crazy seventh inning. I think it took 53 minutes. There was so much going on, some controversial plays. And then the Bautista home run and bat flip and, and the Blue Jays won the game in the series that day. Uh, that's the one that I get asked about the most, even though I've done uh, fewer baseball games than football and hockey through the years. But uh, people identify with that one. Um, in hockey, there are many. Sure. I've had the great fortune to call uh, the Stanley Cup final on television in 2021 when Tampa Bay beat Montreal. Uh, our crew will have the Stanley Cup final this year on TNT, myself, along with Eddie Olchek and Keith Jones. So really looking forward to that. I've called uh, eight Stanley Cup finals on the radio, including yeah. the Rangers in 1994. I was working for NHL radio at the time. So it was a national radio broadcast when they won their first cup in 54 years. Um, Olympic hockey, the last six Winter Olympics. And the one that really stands out is the women's gold medal game in 2018 in, in sure. Pyeongchang, South Korea, when the USA beat Canada in a shootout. That's certainly towards the top of my personal list. In football, um, I worked many divisional playoff games through the years. Uh, there's a couple that stand out. Brett Favre and the Packers in the snow beating Seattle in January 2008. Uh, January 2012, we had a great game between the 49ers and the Saints in the divisional round. Alex Smith and Drew Brees back and forth. Vernon Davis scored the game-winning touchdown late. Right. Um, I've had a number of moments in football, not necessarily games, but moments. Uh, Terrell Owens stomping on the Cowboys star back in wow. 2000 with the 49ers. I was working that game. Uh, Michael Vick early in his career had a, a tremendous uh, 40-plus yard touchdown run in overtime in Minnesota, zigzagging through the defense and went up through the tunnel after he scored to celebrate. Uh, so that one certainly stands out. Victor Cruz, 99-yard touchdown catch against the Jets and a big Giants win uh, leading up to their Super Bowl uh, back in 2011-12. Um, I've had some, you know, crazy – we had the first 8-5 game in NFL history back in 94, 8-5 final score. I had Bill Cower shoving a, a photo in the referee's pocket at halftime 
because the <laughs> Steelers were called for 12 men on the field and the photo showed they only had 11 during a field goal. Wow. Um, so many others. I mean, even last year, we had crazy games that went right down to the wire, big comebacks, uh, just like the one last week in Atlanta. Uh, you know, probably two men in a name. And then on, on the basketball side, uh, there's not a particular game, but just having the opportunity to work 15 to 20 games a year with Walt Clyde Frazier on MSG Network, on Knicks broadcasts, uh, one of the greatest players, you know, of all time, certainly um, in Knicks franchise history. And just last week, uh, myself and a number of my colleagues, you talk about relationships, we were up in Connecticut when Clyde became the first basketball player in history to be inducted into the Hall of Fame as both a broadcaster and a player. He was already in as a player since 1987, and now he's in the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster as well. That's excellent. Yeah, well, wow. I mean, it's you're like an encyclopedia, you know, of you know facts and and figures and and games that you've seen and been a part of and watched and um, your your recall. I mean, that's you know, and I have a journalism background and. You know, I do a lot of research when I'm doing broadcasts, like when I'm, you know, being interviewed on on national TV. And it's, you know, I think it's just ingrained in us to be able to just uh, have that, you know, muscle memory, if you will, of just information that you're able to store it. Because when you're a part of these uh, games and when you're a part of history, um, you're you're living it and you will continue to, you know, live through it as you remember you know, these games, because when you have a passion for something, you're going to remember it. And especially when you're there and, you know, I think fans appreciate that as well. When you're, you're calling games, I mean, you're able to really tell a story and you're able to really uh, get into a rhythm and be able to, you know, work with your team and really bring the excitement to everybody's, you know, home when they're watching, you know, on the couch or, you know, in a, in a sports bar, the only fans that don't get a chance to hear you are the ones who are actually, you know, at the game. What's great about what you do is that people look up to you and they're inspired by what you do. And, you know, part of relationship building is mentoring. And, you know, are there people that you've mentored along the way uh, and, and people who uh, you felt that, you know, taught you something, you know, while in that mentoring process? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And before I get to that, you mentioned a couple of things during the course of the question. Um, you know, first of all, as far as the memory, I've always seemed to have this ability to remember and recall a lot of useless information. So it's all stored up there. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to write the book, which will be published about a year from now. It's called a Mike for all seasons. And, um, I, I seem to have so many stories and, and anecdotes and, um, information, uh, stored up there. And I do speak to so many high school and college students every year. And my family was also pushing me a little bit. Uh, I figured, why not put it all out there on paper? So it was a really fun project. I did it myself. I did not have a ghostwriter or a co-author. I wanted it to be in my words. And uh, I was able to recall a lot of the information. And I do talk about in the book so much of what we've discussed uh, as far as uh, teamwork and relationships and memorable games that I've called and color analysts, et cetera. Um, and then as far as uh, the, the A, influences, and B, uh, young broadcasters that I've uh, tried to help through the years, um, you know, aside from my family members, my father and uncles, um, I grew up listening to a lot of radio. Uh, we didn't have cable TV until I was about 17 or 18, so wow. I was always listening to games on the radio, 
uh, and we had nine professional teams in New York. So I was listening to all of them, uh, hockey, football, basketball, baseball, and I would watch games on, on television as well. Um, Howie Rose, who's the longtime voice of the Mets. Um, I was his associate producer back in my college days on Mets Extra, the pre and post game shows. So, uh, you know, he was certainly a big influence as well as so many of the other announcers around the New York area. Um, I've built relationships with a number of these high school and college, uh, the broadcasting camps that cater to those students. Um, and I've, I've, I've spoken in person and in recent years on Zoom a little bit uh, to four or five of these broadcasting camps per summer. I'll also receive emails and, and phone calls from other young broadcasters. And I always try to listen to their work and uh, hopefully give them some, some positive advice um, but there are a few in particular, Ed Cohen, who, who does the radio for the Knicks, heading into his fifth or sixth season. He's a tremendous young broadcaster. And I first met Ed when he was a college student at Ithaca College in upstate New York. And we kept in touch and I listened to some of his work. And, you know, now we wind up doing a lot of the same games and traveling together uh, during the basketball season. Uh, Brendan Burke, another terrific young broadcaster who does the Islanders on TV hockey on Turner. He's filled in on some Yankee radio this summer. Uh, met Brendan as well during his college days. So we kept in touch through the years and I, I followed his progress. Uh, Steve Gelbs, who's on the Mets broadcasts as the sideline reporter on, on SNY on television. Uh, met Steve when he was at Syracuse and we kept in touch. So there are, there are many more, but those are three uh, prime examples. And uh, it's always exciting to follow their careers because I remember how important it was for me to gain advice from, from uh, older veteran broadcasters during my early years. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's great that you can think fondly of them and how much they've made an impact on your life as much as you've made an impact uh, on theirs. And it's, it's a, like a fraternity, you know, it's, you know, it's a special exclusive club, but then it's also inclusive too, because you have fans and the people you work with, they don't necessarily need to be a broadcaster. They don't necessarily, you know, need to, be that much of a sports aficionado but you attract people from all walks of life and you probably over the years have gotten people so uh, excited and immersed in sports when maybe they didn't even have that much knowledge base because you know family members get other family members involved and then they always look out for their favorite broadcasters to watch games and again you definitely pick up a, a great great following uh, which is really really cool because I mean you're you're also a journalist by profession. So the fact that you can tie in your passion and your journalistic abilities, but then also be able to tell a story about what's going on and sports, there's excitement every, every minute. And there's things, there are, there are things rather that people will miss if they don't get the bird's eye view from, from you, which is great. Talk to me about work-life balance. I mean, talk to me about your family and, you know, over the years, like building relationships at home is so important. And what uh, has worked for you? Because you're always on the road and you're always uh, throughout the year and, you, you know, you have a lot of, you know, time dedicated to your career. That's a great question. Uh, you know, I grew up around it. My father wasn't around uh, very often uh, at certain times of the year, whether he was doing the six and 11 o'clock news at WNBC. So I could home from school, he'd be in Manhattan and then he'd be on the road for games. So, but that was uh, what I was used to. So uh, 
as opposed to a, a father who would go into an office for a nine to five job and then be home for dinner every night. But I thought it was great because I could tag along to games and go with him to work, uh, you know, on, on so many occasions every year. Um, my wife's been so great about it. We met back in 94. So I was already maybe not as busy as I am now, but uh, working NFL and NHL games. So she's understood it right from the start. Um, we have two daughters who are now 23 and 19, and I'm sure they're used to it, uh, just like I was growing up uh, with, with my father's schedule. And when they were young, I was away most weekends, so I missed a lot of the weekend activities, but I would try to do as much as possible during the week. And I actually liked the reverse schedule. I felt like I could drive them to school, uh, pick up from school when I was around, go to the weekday activities that other uh, parents might not have been able to do who, who were out in the working world. So uh, we made it work. They would come along on trips as well. Um, you know, we wouldn't be able to go on the traditional spring break or winter break vacations because I was busy. But one year, for example, they came to the Pro Bowl in Hawaii with me. Uh, they've been to a couple of Olympics. So um, similar to, to, to my background, um, you know, I might not have been around as much for dinner or on weekends, but uh, we certainly made it work. And the great thing is, um, and my wife tells people this all the time, some people love their jobs. Some people hate their jobs. I never feel like I'm going to work. It's, it, there's a lot of work and travel and prep that goes into it, but it's so much fun. So, you know, here I am in year 32 broadcasting professionally, and I, I really feel like I have not worked a day in my life. Well, that is what I've heard from so many people like you who who love what they do and they have a passion for what they do. And it does not feel like work because they're able to enjoy the people they work with and the craft that they continue to um, strengthen, you know, day after day, week after week, year after year in what they do and your abilities and your skill sets and your career, you know, is a testament to the success that you've had. What advice would you give to other father and and son uh, teams out there, uh, because I've worked with my father for the past eight years and you have a strong relationship with your father. Um, you know, what would, did you ever think that maybe you'd be able to call a game with your dad or have you ever had the opportunity to do that? You know, it's funny, people ask me that once in a while, but uh, I could probably count on one hand the, the amount of times we've worked together as broadcasters. Uh, when I used to keep the stats for him, I was sitting right next to him uh, but that was over 30 years ago because we're both play-by-play -play announcers. It's virtually impossible to work together. Um, we've done it a couple of times when I was in college, he came in to do a game with us on the, on the college radio station at NYU. Um, when I was doing uh, minor league hockey, he came in and, and sat with us one game. And then a couple of times we worked together. He was doing uh, NFL Monday night games on Westwood one. And I was hired for two or three games to work as the sideline reporter. So that was kind of bizarre. I wasn't sure what to call him, you know, when I threw it back <laughs> up to the booth. So I just said, uh, back to you guys. Um, but really, aside from that, you know, we've never worked together. We've called the same game on numerous occasions. Sure. Different networks uh, in basketball and hockey several times. Um, but, you know, the advice that I would give, you know, you look around, around the world, really, and, and there are so many kids of you know who go into their parents profession whether it's right doctor lawyer teacher and i think a big reason why is because you grow up around it and and that's the environment so um 
you know, for me, it was all that I ever wanted to do since I was about five years old. Um, if I didn't grow up around it, maybe that would not have been the case. But, um, you know, like I said, I, I've never felt like I've worked a day in my life. You know, my colleagues and I, we get paid to travel around the country and world and, and call sporting events. And, uh, you know, they pay for our flight and our hotel and we get to, get to, you know, see so many other cities. And I always try to get out and, uh, you know, go to some of the tourist sites because, uh, you know, you don't want to be sitting in your hotel room, uh, and working 24 seven, you know, you do have to have that balance. So, um, it, it's just a lot of fun. And, and like I said, for, for, boys and girls who grow up around parents, no matter what the profession is, um, just by being around it, I think that kind of gets ingrained in you. Well, thank you so much, Kenny, for joining with me today. I mean, I really learned a lot more about your career and what relationship building means to you. And I look forward to having many more conversations with you. And it just gives a, a snapshot of, and it gives a, you know, the bird's eye view of, you know, what you've meant to this sport and, what you've meant to all sports and what you've meant to broadcasting. And I want to really thank you for your time today. Well, thanks, Garrett. I really appreciate you having me on. It was a lot of fun. And uh, hopefully we can do it again. Good luck uh, with the show moving forward. Thank you so much, Kenny. I really appreciate it. And good luck tomorrow calling the game. I, I certainly will be watching. Thank you. Yeah, let's stay in touch. Thank you so much, Kenny. You take care. You too. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, Garrett.